With that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, our Father, Lord, we do praise you this day and thank you, God, for your great power. We thank you, Lord, that you are the sovereign king, that you are in control of all things. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us life and breath and that you give us everything else, God. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought us to this very day, that you've called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. We thank you, God, that you have forgiven all of our sins in your Son, Christ Jesus, and that, Lord, you've washed them away. They exist no more. Oh, Lord, that you've drowned them in the deepest part of the sea. God, what a blessed promise. We thank you, Lord, for all of the good work that you're doing in our life, that you are making us like you, that you are making us like Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts today as we look into your word. We pray that you would grant us insight and understanding into your kingdom and your purposes. We pray, God, that you would uh, just help us to hide these words in our heart, God, that we might be equipped to stand. Uh, Lord, we pray that our lives would glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Okay, with that, we're uh, back in our study of Ephesians. And uh, in chapter 6. And uh, for two weeks now, we've been talking about the uh, passage in uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through verses 18. And I want to go ahead and uh, read chapter 6, verse 10 through chapter 6, verse 20 for you so we can get the context of this morning's lesson. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Okay, so that's the section in Ephesians that we're looking at this morning. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of review before we kind of dive into this text. This morning we'll be looking at verses 14 and following and dealing with the actual specific pieces of the armor of God. 
But I wanted to just give you some review about the passage in, in the fact that in this section, Paul is drawing an analogy about Christian life to warfare and to battle. And after going through all of the practical instruction of the book of Ephesians and telling us Christians exactly how it is that we're supposed to live and the things that we are to pay attention to and the people who we are to be inside of our hearts. And after all of the things that Paul has has told us about what we possess in Christ and in the salvation that we have in Christ, he's now talking to us about the way that we wage war as a Christian. And, you know, each week I've asked you this question, how many of you as Christians realize that you're in a war? And, of course, everybody raises their hand, except this morning I only got one. (laughs) So either you're tired or it it was a real easy week. (laughs) Of course, you you have all sin and temptation conquered, don't you? Uh, No, of course not. It's a great war. It's a great battle. It's a great struggle. And that's what uh, Paul is pointing out to us here. And so the Christian life is analogous to warfare. And so in so doing, right, he gives us some instruction about how to fight the war, how to fight the battle. And he says that we must be strong in the Lord. And, uh, you know, he tells us right up front that there's no way we're going to be able to fight this battle in our own strength. But, in fact, the battle belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? Even as God had uh, written in the Old Testament so many times to show us and to teach us that the battle is in His hands. Amen? Many times the saints of God are sleeping peacefully in their camp and the angel of the Lord is out smiting the enemy. Amen? But He also says that we should be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And as I've been telling you, how powerful is God? Right, He's omnipotent. He has all the power. He has all the authority. He's the sovereign king. And we are His people. And here Paul says that we should be strong in the strength of His might. And in His mighty power. And you know, last week I was talking to you about how many resources we Christians possess in this warfare. That, you know, we, we have everything we need. We simply have to avail ourselves of it. Amen? I mean, what more do we need, really, if we have the strength of God's might wherewith we can stand? Right? We have everything we need. So the Christian life for us shouldn't be one with a big, long list of excuses of how we continue to keep failing. Instead, it should be uh, an ongoing growth in holiness and purity of life. And it should, it should look like a decreasing frequency of sin in our life. And an ongoing and ever-continuing praise and thanksgiving unto God for the victory that He keeps giving us in Christ as He grows us, as He sanctifies us, as He makes us holy. Now, it doesn't mean that we're never going to take any hits in the battle. Surely we are, right? Surely it is a, a great war that's being waged. And many times we fail because we try to do things in our own strength. And God teaches us many holy lessons in our Christian life and in the sanctification process, right? But nevertheless, here the Apostle is telling us that we are equipped with everything we need 
so that he says we will be able to stand. Right? The first, of course, is the strength of God's might. We have the strength of God's might to stand in this battle. But then also he says that we are to put on the full armor of God. And here we were talking about the fact that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility in the warfare. Now, the armor is the armor of God, right? It's an armor that comes from God. It's an armor that has been given to us by God. Therefore, it's God's armor, right? And it is sufficient armor. Would you agree? That if God has armor for the Christian to stand in the battle, that that armor is going to be good. It's going to be sufficient. It's going to be comprehensive. It's going to be everything that we need, right? Because we know that God gives us everything that we need to be like Him, right? 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of Him. Amen? And so in this Christian warfare, in this battle that we fight, we have the armor of God. We have everything we need so that we will be able to stand. But you see, we got to put it on. We got to pick it up and we got to put it on. Which which implies that we have a very great responsibility in this battle. And I want to tell you that as we're going through these pieces of armor, you need to remember this very specific thing. It is our responsibility to put this armor on. Okay? This section of the book of Ephesians is a very practical section. Paul's telling us how to do what we are to do. And he's telling us why we do it. Okay? He's, you know, just like he's been going through the book and he says, you know, don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only those which edify, right? He, he goes on and he says, be an imitator of Christ and live a life of love. And be kind to one another and forgive one another. And you wives submit to your husbands. And you husbands love your wives. And you children obey your parents. And you fathers don't provoke your children. He's been giving us all this practical instruction. Well, listen, he didn't get to chapter 6, verse 10 and stop being practical. Okay? He's trying to tell us what we need to do in our daily life in order to be able to stand in the war, in the battle. Okay? So I want you to to consider that this is practical instruction to us. We start talking about the the, uh, breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the belt of truth and all these things. Look, this isn't just a bunch of heavenly lingo talking about about a bunch of heavenly concepts that don't apply to our daily life. Okay, This instruction is very practical. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to, to kind of open that up and explain it to you. But but. Friends, we have got to put on the armor if we want to be availed of its power. You can't leave the sword of the Spirit on the coffee table if you're going to go out and wage war against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places with which you struggle. Amen? You're going to be defeated because you're not going to have the weaponry that you need. You're not going to have the shields. You're not going to have the armor that you need to stand in the war if you don't pick it up and avail yourselves of it. Amen? So remember that as we kind of go through this. 
And the only other thing I wanted to remind you by way of review was <clears throat> these verses, which are uh, verses 11 through 13. There Paul says, Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You remember that we were talking about? We're, we're, uh, we're standing against the schemes of the devil. You remember that? We talked about Wile E. Coyote. And you remember how he, he always had a scheme by which he was after the roadrunner? You remember that? And we, we, we use that as analogy to kind of talk about the way that Satan works. Even in the King James, this is translated the wiles of the devil, right? He has these schemes, these wiles. The, the word in Greek is the word methodia, which means methods. The devil has a method with which to tempt you and to drag you into sin, right? And so this is what we're struggling against. It is these schemes of a deceitful enemy, Right? But he goes on and he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle isn't against what? People. People. It's not against people. Right? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we talked about what those things are. That, that these powers, these principalities, these rulers, speaks of a rank in order in the angelic kingdom, right? But that these angels in particular are fallen angels, right? And that we, Christians, are waging war against fallen angels. That's what Paul is saying, right? And we talked about the fact that these, these, these rulers... These powers, these spiritual forces of wickedness have a tremendous amount of power in this place where they live. This world here. Where, you know, Jesus said that Satan was the ruler of this world. Right? And he told Pilate, he said, I am not of this world. He said, if I were of this world, my servants would fight. Right? Jesus says, I'm from another place. But you see, this world is ruled by Satan. You merely have to turn on the evening news to see that. Amen? This isn't what it looks like in God's kingdom. This is simply a tool in His hands by which He is glorifying His holy name. But here, the Christian is waging war against these rulers and these powers and these what? Spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Okay, And so Paul has told us who the enemy is. And he's given us a little bit of an explanation what they look like, who they are, what it is that we're struggling against. right? And he says in this struggle, we have got to put on the full armor of God so that we may be able to resist in the evil day. And you see, there's coming a time, Christian, when you're going to stand against temptation. Namely, this afternoon. <laughs> right? And tomorrow morning. And Tuesday afternoon. And Thursday p.m. We go through this Christian life and we're constantly under bombardment from the world and from the devil. And if that weren't bad enough, we have to wage war with our own flesh. 
with our own sinful nature that lives within us, we have a propensity toward evil. Right? But if any man is in Christ, he is a a new creation. And inside of us lives the Spirit of the living God. He dwells in us. We've been born again. We've been regenerate. We, We have a regenesis. There's a new man inside there. There's a new woman inside there who's waging war against the old man, against the flesh, against the world, and against the devil. Amen? Amen? And so, having understood what these enemies are through the book of Ephesians, Paul is now telling us how we will be able to stand in the midst of this battle. And this is where he goes into this discussion about the armor of God. I wanted to read to you a quote. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 14 through 17, and then I'm going to dive into what these things are and what they mean and how we should understand them. Verse 14 says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, here Paul describes what this full armor of God is. Okay? And he he uses the different pieces and he makes spiritual analogies to them, right? He says the belt of truth. Right? He says the... um, of course, in this translation, it just it just says to gird your loins with truth. In others, it says with the belt of truth. The idea is girding up the loins. We'll talk about that. But the point is, is that uh, he, he also makes an analogy to the breastplate of righteousness. Having shod your feet with uh, the gospel of peace, or put on shoes of the gospel, if you will. Uh, he, he describes these various characteristics of the armor with spiritual qualities okay now lest we try to go into some heavenly trance here and and think that this is some kind of mystical babble by which we can discern the deep things of god i want to encourage you that that it is not that at all that it is something very practical and very easy for anyone to understand if they'll just consider what's being said paul is drawing an analogy from a soldier on a battlefield in his day. And that soldier on the battlefield in his day wears a certain kind of armor. And he's saying, look, your Christian life, you're in this war, you're in this struggle with spiritual forces of wickedness, right? You're in this struggle against the cosmocrator, remember that Greek word, for the ruler, right? You're in a struggle against the evil one, he says, right? And so you need to be very much like a soldier, he says, wearing armor. And so he kind of draws an analogy and saying, look, Christians, you need all of this wonderful blessing and privilege that God has given you that I've been telling you about for six chapters. And you need to put it all on so that you can stand firm in this struggle. Okay? And that's all it is. He's simply using the pieces of armor to describe to you the spiritual blessings in Christ that he's been describing for the last six chapters and telling us to put it all on, to avail ourselves of it all, to use it. Okay, this is very practical. I wanted to read you a quote from John Calvin that I was 
came across. This is um, where uh, Calvin is commenting on verse 14. And he says, stand therefore. And then he comments. He says, now follows a description of the arms which they were enjoined to wear. He says, we must not, however, inquire very minutely into the meaning of each word. For an allusion to military customs is all that was intended. Nothing can be more idle than the extraordinary pains which some have taken to discover the reason why righteousness is made a breastplate instead of a girdle. Paul's design was to touch briefly on the most important points required in a Christian and to adapt them to comparison which he had already used. Okay, what what we're saying is it's not some big mystical thing, you know. I used to hear about these Christians who wake up in the morning and they'd go through this whole prayer of putting on the armor of God, you know, and and it was this great proclamation of faith that somehow they were, you know, by going through this practice of verbalizing, putting on the armor, that they were going to be equipped to stand. Now, I don't see anything wrong with praying this prayer and going through the understanding of what these things mean and equipping ourselves and reminding ourselves of all of the great armor that we have, okay? But there isn't anything mystical about it. It's very simple, practical instruction. Paul is saying, look, you need the truth. Okay? He's saying you need to live a righteous, holy life. Okay? He's saying you need to be a people of peace which comes from God. That's all he's saying. He's giving us some practical instruction. And and so, here he says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, one thing you can clearly see in this text is that there's six pieces of armor, okay? And that in the six pieces of armor, Paul has kind of made a distinction between the first three and the second three, okay? And the first three he talks about in a past tense. He says, having girded your loins with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay? Having shod your feet. Okay? Then the other three, the second three pieces of armor, those he says, take up. So do this in the present tense or in the future tense. Okay? So let's talk a little bit about that. Here Paul mentions the first three articles of armor. These were devices which were worn at all times on the battlefield. Whereas the shield, helmet, and sword were taken up only at the moment of battle. So in other words, when the soldiers were encamped, they weren't wearing their helmet and carrying around their sword and their shield. That stuff was hanging around back at the tent. But they were always wearing the shoes. And they were always wearing the breastplate. And they always had their loins girded up. Because at any moment they could be called to battle. Then they would run, they would take up the shield, they would take up the sword, they would put on the helmet, and they would charge into battle. Right? That's basically the idea. There's a separation between these two uh, sections of pieces of armor. Paul uses these implements of armor to describe by analogy the fundamental elements needed in the struggle against evil, which the Christian endures. It is with and in these truth, righteousness, and peace that the Christian is to stand firm. You see, he says, stand firm, therefore, having truth, righteousness, peace. Okay? He's saying, this is where you stand. 
These are your defensive pieces of armor. Okay? These are your defensive pieces of armor. He says, having girded your loins with truth. The people of the first century often wore long flowing robes and needed to cinch them up before undertaking laborious tasks such as running or working or fighting. So in other words, they're wearing they're 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 not wearing pants. Right? They're they're wearing these robes. And so what they would do if they were gonna work or they were gonna run is they would pull up the robes and then they would cinch them with a belt so that their legs were free to move and so on and so forth, okay? And, and so this is the idea, to gird up your loins. They would, they would, that was a term they would use before they would get up and go march away or before they would get up and dig or get up and fight. Okay? They would cinch up all their, the loose pieces of their clothing. In the same way, the Christian is to cinch up or gird up his or her spiritual life with God's truth. Okay? In the same way that they'd wrap up the clothes and get ready to go, Paul's saying, this is what you Christians need to do with God's truth. You need God's truth to hem you in. You need God's truth to hold you up. You need God's truth to hold you together, very much like uh, a uh, soldier would in the field of battle with his belt. Okay? It was something that was essential. Why? Well, because the enemy, he's a liar. You see, he's always telling you lies and trying to deceive you. Remember we talked about the fish bait and how uh, sin and temptation were very much like fish bait, right? You see, it's it's a method of the enemy to tempt you into sinning against God. He has a scheme by which he's trying to deceive you and cause you to sin, okay? But we're not to be deceived or led astray by his lies because we have, the God, we have God's truth by which to discern what his lies are, right? <clears throat> so truth itself is the very nature of God. And it is the antinomy of the devil's warfare, which is lying, deceiving, and cunning, crafty deceit. The Christian stands in the truth of God's unwavering promises of deliverance and casts down every false thought or temptation, remembering God's truth and forsaking the devil's lies at every turn. And you know, you can see this throughout the Bible, where we are enjoined to put on God's truth. Okay, for instance, Philippians 4.8, many of you are familiar with this. There he says, finally, my brethren, whatever is True. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Right? What's Paul saying to the Philippians? Think about what is true. Because the devil is a liar. And when he wages war against you, he wages war with lies, with deceit. He is a very cunning, crafty serpent. Remember we talked about how he deceived Eve in the garden. And he presented that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and talked her into the fact that it was very pleasing to the eye and that she ought to lay hold of it. And it seems as if Eve had forgotten at the moment 
the Word of God. The truth of God. She, she, she came to her senses and said to the devil, God said, we're not supposed to eat of that. Right? And then he told her some more lies. He said, you shall not surely die. Because God knows in the day that you eat of that, you'll become like God. Right? Just filling her with lies. And deceiving her into sinning against God. You see, he's crafty. He's cunning. And he does it with lies and with deceit. And every time the devil presents sin to you, it looks to your flesh as something which is very pleasing to the eye. But in the end, it is as bitter as the venom of a serpent. Amen? Sin will destroy you, family. And it's the enemy's business to present you with sin and to tempt you and lead you astray into sin. Matthew 4, 3 and following, there Jesus is in the desert and he's being tempted by the devil. And there it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so you see how the Lord Jesus cast down every thought and every high thing that set itself up against the knowledge of God. He cast it down with his own personal knowledge of God's truth. You see that? You see why it's necessary for the Christian to gird himself up with the truth of God? Because when the tempter comes attempting, you will know what to say. Because your, your discernment skills will say, that's a lie. You're a devil. Amen? And you'll know how to resist him. The Christian will often be assailed with lying, deceiving, tempting situations, but must cast them down with the truth of God's word in order to stand firm. Christian, you got to know the truth if you're going to be victorious in the battle. And if you're ignorant, you're going to fall prey. You remember just a few chapters back, or not even that far back, in Ephesians 5, Paul was telling us, don't be ignorant, he said, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You remember that? We spent a whole week talking about that section of Scripture there. And Paul was telling us to, to, uh, to, uh, to be filled up with God's wisdom and to be very careful how we live. And, and not to be ignorant, but to understand what God expects of us and what God has given to us and granted us. Not to be ignorant of all the resources He's given us to live the Christian life. Because when we're ignorant, we're going to fall prey. Okay? The Christian life is one that's lived out of the knowledge of God. Right? That's why we meditate on His Word day and night. So that our minds will be transformed by the true knowledge of God. You know, all the people out there in the world that are perishing, what are they living for? They, they think that somehow they're, they're going to be fulfilled, chasing all the worldly pleasures. And what winds up with them all? Let me tell you. The grave. The worm. <clears throat> they turn to dust and perish in the earth. 
which is simply a portrayal of what's taking place spiritually in the physical realm. All of that effort, all of that chasing, all of that longing all their life ignoring God wind up in the grave. You see, the devil is a liar. And he's deceiving the nations with his lies. Amen? But you, family, are not those who are perishing, chasing your sin and chasing every whim of pleasure that comes your way. No, you've been ransomed from that. You're no longer in chains and in bondage to your sin. But you have power over your sin by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And so we're to no longer live like the Gentiles live. Remember all that? Remember all that in Ephesians? We can no longer live like the Gentiles live. Right? But we're to put on the new man, which is being created in the likeness of its creator, in true righteousness and holiness of the truth. Right? Amen? We're new creatures. We have a new likeness. And so we must gird ourselves up with the truth of God. Amen? Can't be ignorant of the truth. Put that Bible to work. Wear them pages out and get you a new one. Amen? You'll find everything you need in those scriptures to stand. And you will be able to stand. That's what the Bible says. Amen? He says, stand firm, therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was that piece of armor which covered the body from neck to the thighs, both front and back, and undoubtedly was meant to protect all the vital organs. In the same way, righteousness of Christian life is that vital, central, fundamental element of warfare which makes us to stand. For the Christian is to live an integral, holy, and pure life of devotion to God and is to cause him or her to stand firm against the enemy who seeks to draw him or her into sin and wickedness. Okay? That Paul intends this to be practical righteousness, the righteous living, and not positional righteousness, Righteousness with God because of Christ is obvious because of its use elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians 5.8 in a similar manner. Now listen to what I'm saying. Paul is not talking about take the righteousness of Christ and put that on. Okay? Let me tell you why that is. Because this is a very practical section of the book of Ephesians. Okay? And he is telling us how to practice the Christian life. And so in this section where he is telling us to put on the righteousness of God, this is what he's saying. You Christians need to obey God's word and live a holy and a pure life if you want to stand firm in the battle. In other words, you've got to do the right thing. Okay? Now, we're well aware of that positional righteousness that we possess in Christ because he explained that to us in the first three chapters of the book. Right? He told us that by grace we had been saved through faith. And that we now stood holy and blameless in the sight of God by the predestination of God and by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that we had merited favor with God not by any works that we had done, but by grace we had been saved. 
right? And that we were the very uh, 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 masterpiece of God, he says in Ephesians 2.10. That we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We stand in that position of righteousness that we have in Christ. But listen, here what he's telling us is, we've got to put on the righteousness of God. We've got to put it to work. He's telling us to stop sinning. To live a life of obedience to God. To live a life of purity to God. And that this will protect all our vital organs. You see, this is a very practical section of the book. But he also says in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, there he says, But since we are all of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, Paul frequently uses these, these terms. As a matter of fact, that's even a quote out of Isaiah, where Isaiah uses similar terminology to talk about our righteousness. Okay? But the point is, is that this is something we got to put on. This is something we got to stand in. We have a responsibility here. Yes, the battle belongs to the Lord. But it all comes by faith. And there is an obedience that comes by faith. Amen? And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. And John says, this is the love of God. That we fear God and keep His commandments. Right? By this, he says, is the love of God perfected in us. Amen? The Christian will often be assailed with lying, deceiving, tempting situations, but must ward them off with obedience to God's word in order to stand firm. Okay? In other words, when you're presented with the temptation to do evil, don't do it. Instead, do the right thing. Amen? To, to live in repentance. To obey the word of God. Here he says, Stand firm, therefore, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The shoes were that piece of the panoply that gave the soldiers sure footing and good balance, even in slippery places. In the same way, the Christian is afforded that wholehearted assurance that he or she has been reconciled unto God and is not subject to the lying, deceitful accusations that the evil one whispers in our ears in order to cause us to lose confidence. Instead, we stand firm in the gospel of peace, reconciled to God with full assurance of His favor which has been merited for us by Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. Listen, Christian, you've been reconciled to God by the merit of Christ. Therefore, you now have peace with God. What shall the devil do to you? You have full assurance of your salvation, and this will cause you to stand. That's what Paul's saying. You have peace with God. Don't let fear and doubt rule your life. You're a child of God. By the merit of Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. Right? 
You've been reconciled to God. You have full assurance of your salvation. And this prepares you to stand firm in the war, in the struggle, in the battle. And every time the tempter comes attempting, right? You're reminded of that good thing that God has done for you in Christ. And every time you fall or you fail, consider what good encouragement strengthens you again to stand. Except that the mighty cross is there to cover over all your sins. Amen? Isn't that the gospel that you believed? It is. And it's a gospel of peace whereby you've been reconciled unto God. And you are therefore prepared to stand against all the schemes of the evil one. And against all the warfare of the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, Christians have everything they need to live the Christian life. God has not left us as orphans. He's given us all, every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. Amen? We have only, therefore, to stand. Amen? We have only to stand. Yeah. I think one of the really important verses of the Bible that's encouraged me is Daniel 1 6, and it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defy himself. So I know God equips us with everything, but he still gives us that desire of our heart. We've got a purpose in our heart. We've got to make up our mind ahead of time. We're going to resist the devil. We're going to, you know, know these things. You know, so if you make that decision, then that clears up all those other little decisions when life comes along and says, well, should I do this or that? You've already decided to do the right thing. And God's there to help you. Amen. You know, and he's given you the armor to do that. Mm-hmm. But to me, a, a real key is to purpose in your heart to mm-hmm. make that decision. And daily, through your meditation and your prayer, you're, you're seeking for strength in that purpose, right? So that when the, when the tempter comes, you put on the armor of God, right? So that you actually will carry it out. You know, Daniel was a great man of zeal and purpose unto God. But, but even more than that, Daniel was a man of obedience, right? And, and uh, he was a man who, who would carry out the very purposes of his heart. And he would do that in the strength of God's mind. Even Amen. as a young boy, I think that's so encouraging. You can challenge the children. You know, he decided that when he was pretty young. He was captured when he was about 12 or 13. So he'd already purposed in his heart. Even though he was thrown into an ungodly situation, Amen. the ungodly rulers had to learn some ungodly things in those mm-hmm. things. He still stayed true. Amen. How about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions? Do you remember their story? Let's talk for a minute about rulers, about powers. <laughs> about spiritual forces of wickedness, okay? Here's these young men, these worshipers of God. They get hauled off into a foreign country, and they get put into the service of the king, right? And you know, when you're in the service of a Babylonian king in those day and age, you don't raise an eyebrow toward that king, because you'll lose your head. You with me? Well, they come along one day and they say, look, the king set up an image and we're going to all bow down and worship this image, right? And what does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? Now, you see, having girded their loins with truth, they were reminded, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I am the Lord, right? And so they, like Rosie said, purposed in their heart to put on the righteousness of God and tell that ruler and that king, O king, 
We're not going to bow down to your image. Right? And even if you kill us, King, we owe our allegiance to the one true and living God. And we will not bow down to your image. Amen? Amen. So what happens? Well, <laughs> King wasn't too happy. Right? Heat the furnace seven times hotter. In other words, he was a little angry. <laughs> right? You've read the story. The furnace was so hot, what happened? The guards died trying to throw them in. Right? And they got thrown in. Daniel uh, 5, right? Daniel 3, Daniel 5, right in there. Uh, <clears throat> they got thrown in the furnace. Oh, my. How the Christian gets assailed by rulers and powers and principalities. <coughs> Finds himself in many dark places. And sometimes it looks like it's the end. Amen? Amen. In this case, God chose to deliver them. And make that a testimony for his great namesake. Amen? There are others who weren't so lucky. Many of you have heard of John Tyndale. Right? Translator of the Bible. Right? He got burned at the stake. But you see, his death became the blood of a martyr, which was a great testimony for the namesake of the Lord. But you see, John... Tyndale, he had his helmet on. He had the good hope of eternal life. And death for him was simply a portal into heaven. Amen? Amen. So sometimes the Lord chooses to deliver, and sometimes he doesn't. That's even bound up in the prayer of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Have you read it? Right? He said, O king, even if our God does not deliver us, we will not bow down. Amen? Amen? They were entrusting themselves to him who judges justly. They were entrusting themselves to the sovereignty of God. And they said, regardless of what you people in the world do to us, we will not bow down and worship another God because we know the true and living God. And it is to him that we give our allegiance even unto death. Amen? So is the Christian life. And if you're not willing to die for Christ, you're surely not willing to live for him. Isn't that what he said? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. What has he called you to? Unwavering allegiance to his name and to his truth. The Christian will often be assailed with lying, deceiving, tempting situations but must trample them with the assurance of peace from God's word in order to stand firm. Okay? He says then, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The words, in addition to all, are more properly understood as above all. And some of you may have translations where it actually reads, above all, taking up the shield of faith. Okay? And they mean 
that these are more principal and vital pieces of armor which we must take up for the battle. Here Paul mentions the second three articles of armor. These were devices, shield, helmet, and sword, which were taken up only at the moment of battle. The former elements, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes, he says, were, we were to have implemented, having gird, having put on, having shod, whereas these, he tells us, to take them up. Okay? So in other words, when the temptation comes, Paul says, faith, helmet, Bible. Amen? When the temptation comes... You take up these offensive pieces, okay? Of course, the shield is a defensive piece, but the shield can be directed by the one who holds it. Whereas the breastplate simply covers a section of the body, the shield is that which was was used in many different ways and could even be used to bonk someone on the head if need be, right? But the idea was that these were in hand and they were used at the will of the soldier, okay? And and our faith is very much that way. Uh, but here he says, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Here Paul mentions faith and likens it to the soldier's shield, This faith is that trust in and reliance on God which is our strength and constant dependence on the power of His might is a sure victory. So what is Paul saying about this faith? Okay, This faith is what you confront the enemy with. It is a trust in and reliance on God. Remember when he started this whole section, he said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Right? And so is faith. So is faith. Faith has an object. What is the object of faith? God. Christ. Right? What what is our faith in? Is our faith in our faith? Is our faith strong because we just believe? No. Or is our faith strong because it's placed in the Almighty God? Amen? Amen? Faith has an object. Faith is what we meet the enemy with. What is it? It's it's trust in and reliance upon the power of God to deliver us. Remember, the battle belongs to the Lord, not to you. Are you going to wage war against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places? Are you going to wage war against the Cosmo Crator? Of course not. But in the strength of the Lord, you're going to have all that you need to stand. Right? You're going to have everything that you need. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. Right? It's God's strength that we stand in. And this is what the shield of faith is. The shield of faith is, look, when the onslaught of the enemy comes, what do you do? You cry out to God. You bow the knee to God. You get on your knees and pray. You seek the face of the Lord for strength and for power and for victory. Amen? Or you fail. Or you fail. I don't know about you, but when the waves start tossing and the boat starts shifting, I get on my knees and I pray. 
and I open up my Bible and I search for an answer and I seek the face of the Lord because I'm His child and He's my Father and the Spirit in me cries out Abba, Father Oh God, my Father, I trust in You Amen? So is the shield of faith. The shield of faith has its focus on God and His power. Jesus says if you have faith this big, you can throw the mountains in the sea. Amen? Why is that? Because it is nothing for God to flip the mountains into the sea. Because His finger is big. Amen? You with me? You couldn't throw the mountain in a sea if you spent your whole life with your shovel. (laughs) Amen? How much more if we're going to wage war against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places? You with me? So we stand in the mighty power of God. And this is a sure victory for us. In the same way that a soldier is protected from very specific attacks of the enemy by deflecting attacks with his shield, the Christian is able to extinguish the attacks of his or her enemy by faith. Therefore, the evil one launches his flaming schemes and methods against us by temptation, by lies and deceit, By fears and doubts, we employ our trust in God's promises and power to meet each and every attack which are quenched and overcome. It's real vivid imagery here, you see. It's talking about flaming arrows, right? But when they hit the shield of faith, what happens? They're quenched. They're extinguished. The flame of their burning is put out. By faith in God. Amen? God hears the prayers of His children. And He answers. And He delivers. And He delights in being our God. Have you experienced such? I have. The flaming arrows have been described as blasphemous thoughts. Unbelief sudden temptation to do wrong, or thoughts that would wound and torment the soul. Yet with the mighty shield of faith in God, the Christian extinguishes the burning of each and every attack. I want to read you a few scriptures. First John 5, 4, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. You see, we're, we're overcomers. Not because we have mighty strength, but we have faith in the mighty God. Amen? Amen. Our faith, John says, has overcome the world because it is placed in Christ who has overcome the world. Remember, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Faith in Christ overcomes the world and the flesh and the devil. Amen? Glorious truth. How about 1 John 4, 4? You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. 
Who's the strong man here? Jesus, our King. Amen? Didn't we learn in Ephesians chapter 1 that He was the sovereign King? Far above all rule and authority, dominion and power, and every name that can be named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put everything in subjection under His feet. Amen? Who's the strong man here? Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. How about Romans 8, 35 and following? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Shall any of those separate us from the love of Christ? No. Not a one of those. Just so that he makes sure we get it. He says in verse 37, But in all these things we what? We overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Could you have a more exceedingly comprehensive promise from God? That you'll be able to stand. Amen? Amen. What more can God say to assure you that you will stand and that nothing will separate you from His love? Notice how He lists principalities and powers and angels and demons. Amen? None of them. Not a one of those that you wage war with is going to overcome you. Amen? You have everything you need. It's the armor of God. It is sufficient. Amen? Amen. Okay, with that we need to knock off here. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. God our Father, Lord, we do thank you for such promises as you have given us. God, these promises are exceedingly great and profound. I pray, O God, that each and every Christian that is within the sound of my voice will know and understand that it is a great warfare that they fight God. I pray, God, that they would know and understand that they can avail themselves of your mighty power and of the great armor that you've given us, God. I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that they may be enlightened to see what is the exceeding great power toward us who believe Oh, Lord, the great power that you've given us to stand firm. I pray, God, that you would give us an awareness of the devil's deceitful scheming. Oh, Lord, renew our minds with your truth that we'll be able to see the the plans of the enemy and that they'll be foiled. God, I pray that even as Jesus said it is written each and every time he was tempted that we would hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you, God. Oh, Lord, do these things in us, your people, and may we truly be a people to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.